Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. <laughs> All right, and welcome to another episode of the Hockey News on the O. I am Tony Ferrari, as always, joined by Brock Otten. Today, we're going to be covering some OHL stuff, and I figured we'd start with some interesting coaching uh, I guess we can call them milestones, at least for the first one. The, to start off, Dave Cameron, coach of the Ottawa 67s, moves the team moves to 12-1, and but he gets his 400th win uh, as an OHL coach, the only 15th coach in OHL history to do so. And on the other end of the spectrum, Sudbury Wolves interim coach Ken McKenzie records his first OHL coaching win since 1992, a 30-year gap between wins. He originally coached the Wolves from – 87 to 92 and then returned to the team as an assistant GM in 2010. Brock, how wild is it to think that a coach got his first win in 30 years? I think it's even more wild when we now look at the fact that his son is taking over for him after the Wolves named Derek McKenzie as their new head coach today. So I think that just kind of throws like another wrinkle into this whole (laughs) cool story, right? Yeah, it's really interesting. And then Obviously, like I said, Dave Cameron collects his 400th win, a big milestone, only a 15th head coach to do it. Now moves into a tie for 14th all time. What kind of was your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, whenever I think of some of like the really strong new age OHL coaches, I mean, Dave Cameron is one of the names that definitely pops into my head. Um, and I think, the, for lack of a better term, the proof is in the pudding this year, right? Like, we've talked about Ottawa a whole lot on this show and and how they've kind of surprised people with how good they've been. And I think a lot of that has to, a lot of the credit has to go to Dave Cameron. I mean, obviously the players as well, but Dave has that team playing really well. And he's, he's one of the better OHL coaches, I think to, to ever been in the league. Yeah. He's got the resume coaching team Canada at various levels and everything as well. So it's not a shock to see him kind of get his name up in the record books and especially into the, inside that top 15. I'm sure we'll see him move up a, a little bit more over the next few years. Let's get to our three stars of the week, though. There was a bunch of a bunch of players that did really well this week. T- kind of fun week in the OHL. Our first star, though, we gave to Nolan Burke, the new OHL goals leader. What would your take on his game this week? Obviously, he had six goals for Sarnia. No assists, but, I mean, six goals kind of speaks for itself in three games. Yeah, I mean, that top line in Sarnia is really rolling with him and, and Boyd and Limpar Lance. Uh, they're playing really, really well. I think uh, if we have a chance, we're going to touch on Sarnia a little later in the show and, and kind of chat about those three a little bit more. But uh, Burke is somebody who's really taken that next step forward this year uh, as an offensive star in the league. Um, I think he's definitely probably put himself on, if it's sustainable anyway, if he can sustain it, he's put himself on the NHL draft map uh, as well as a reentry candidate. Yeah, it was really fun to watch. I went back and watched a couple of the games from this weekend where he he was just out there, just getting into good spots. And that, that's a big thing, right? Like so much of this game nowadays is getting into the right spots in the offensive zone and doing it at the right time. And Burke does a great job of that. And I mean, Ty Boyd, who also had seven assists this week, easily could have been up here on, a, on one of our three stars. But it, it's fun to watch the chemistry between those guys. And like you said, we'll talk about Sarnia a little bit later. But going to our second star, Connor Lockhart, Vancouver Canucks prospect, 
usually plays center. This weekend, he played defense, and he actually looked pretty good at it. Uh, he had six points, three goals, three assists, and he played defense for the entire weekend. What was kind of your take on him moving back, and how do you think he did? Yeah, I thought he did okay. I mean, it's always a tough uh, transition, especially for an older player. Um, I, Lockhart obviously has the mobility to be a defender. He's very quick. It's his speed and his overall skating ability is definitely one of his strengths. Um, I think overall he's played exceptionally well since the move from Erie to Peterborough. Um, I definitely think that he's found a resurgence as, as an NHL prospect. I think that, you know, I think he's, his OHL career so far this year has, or so far to this point has been slightly disappointing. And I think this year was a really big one for his development in terms of, you know, staying relevant as an NHL prospect. And, uh, I think he's done that. Yeah, it was, it's always fun to see a guy go back and play at a position or, or even a defenseman come up to the forward group and, and play up there. But the one thing I noticed about, about Lockhart on the blue line this this last weekend was he was so engaged offensively as well. And I kind of, you kind of expect that from a forward, especially of Lockhart's uh, pedigree and his, his, his ability. And like you said, the mobility is what really helps him. He was able to kind of get up and down the ice, make up for the mistakes when he did pinch a couple times where you're like, yeah, that's a forward playing defense. But at the end of the day, he had a really solid weekend. There were a number of pass or uh, breakups on zone entries and stuff he made. Uh, he's certainly not going to be an NHL defenseman, but it was fun to watch him for the weekend at least. Yeah, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head too. I think when he's been playing forward this year, I think I've noticed the difference in his play off the puck as well. I think that's sort of been an improvement all around, and uh, I think that's probably why the Peterborough coaching staff uh, elected to move him back and not another player. Yeah, and now we move on to a third star of the week, and that was Saginaw goaltender Tristan Lennox. He had one win, one loss, but he had 46 saves on 47 shots. Literally couldn't have done better if he, unless he had the two shutouts. But, man, he was really fun to watch. I watched both of his games. He really was a calming presence in net. And when you lose one nothing, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a heartbreaker, and you wish your offense did a little bit there for you. But he had a great weekend. Yeah, and it's a big year for him, too. We just kind of talked about that with Lockhart, but he battled some injuries last year. Didn't have a great year with Saginaw, kind of struggling through things, too. And, yeah, he's a guy that needed to have a really, really strong year as a former highly touted goaltending prospect and kind of been disappointing uh, as an OHL player since being selected. And Saginaw really needed him to to be good this year. I know they've got Andrew Oak, but it's great to have two good goaltenders, right? Yeah, I think the big thing with him is we look back at his Team Canada pedigree and all the, the accolades he's gotten through that, and everyone kind of had some high hopes for him in his draft year, and he kind of delivered but never quite got to the level everyone expected, but everyone was like, ah, oh, he had a bad year, he's going to re rebound, and he's finally starting to come around this year, and like you said, you're really hoping to see him come around. The Islanders prospect is going to be uh, pretty fun to watch the rest of the way, especially with a Saginaw team that's uh, maybe outplaying their, their expectations a little bit. Uh, but there's was, there was a number of players that could have been in the three stars this week. Luka Del Belize had six points. Pavel Minchukov on Saginaw as well had five points of his own. Connor Lockhart, we already mentioned. Ty Voigt, like I said, seven assists. And Matt Petrov actually named the OHL Player of the Week. Didn't even crack our top three stars. But it, at the end of the day, we kind of went with the storylines for those ones. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Petrov was definitely somebody who could have fit into those top three, obviously. OHL Player of the Week. Uh, he's having a good season too. Had a great season last year. Is kind of just building off of that. But I think when when you look at the grand scheme of things, you know, picking somebody like Burke, who's now the OHL goal scoring leader, I think we needed to sort of respect that. Yeah, for certain. 
Now we get to the team of the week, and this week we're covering the Florida Panthers prospects in the OHL, and we're going to start off with an interview with Kai Schwint from the Mississauga Steelheads. All right, now we're joined by Kai Schwint from the Mississauga Steelheads. How are you doing today, Kai? Good. How are you guys doing? Not too bad. It's, Great, uh, it's n- nice to have you on here and get to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's good. I've heard a, a lot of good things, so I'm happy to be here. Awesome. First, just want to say congrats on that NHL contract with Florida. I know that's such a big deal for somebody like yourself, you know, not getting drafted last year and, and signing that deal. So we're kind of curious, like, how did Cole sort of help you navigate through the whole process of last year and then signing that deal and going to camp with Florida? Um, obviously, he was a former uh, Florida Panthers prospect. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, Cole's a big part of my life. He's a, a great older brother. I really look up to him. So, um, you know, it's it's really easy to, to lean on him for, for information and and just taking all he's been through too as well. So um, just he's been he's been to three NHL camps prior prior to the one he's just been to. So I kind of just asked him what to expect and what to what like what things to kind of work on in the summer and all that kind of good stuff. So um, yeah, it definitely helped me going in going into my first NHL camp. And yeah, I'm I'm extremely grateful to have him there by my side. So yeah, no, that that makes perfect sense. I mean, the other thing I'm kind of curious about too is with Cole being a former Florida prospect and now you being a current Florida prospect, obviously Cole is part of that deal uh, being dealt to Calgary for Matthew Kachuk. Definitely. The main would you, uh, yeah. Would you, would you say that you two play sort of similarly? Yeah. Yeah. I think we are, we're, we play similar. Uh, he's a center. I'm a left wing, but I feel like we're both uh, more defensive kind of, kind of players. I mean, uh, I think a big thing in, in our games is just to be reliable on both sides of the puck. So, um, I definitely take pride in, in my defensive game more than no, I wouldn't say more than my offensive game, but I, I, I think I take pride in, in my defensive game a lot. Just just being reliable with the uh, with the puck and without the puck. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, too, that I've really noticed about your game when I've seen you play this year, just comparison to last year, is that you're a lot quicker. Would you say that's something that you really tried to work on the last year this offseason? Yeah, for sure. Um, even going in, knowing I was going to Florida camp, I knew uh, I needed to get faster and stronger. I know everyone in the summer, especially this summer, year after the COVID year, it's, it was a big summer for everyone. So um, that's definitely something I focused on doing speed at least two or three times a, a day in the in the gym or a week in the gym. And uh, yeah, yeah, I feel like I, I definitely gained some speed this this summer. And yeah, it's uh, it feels good. Now you've already been to one NHL camp and you've kind of got a little bit of taste of the, of what it's like to line up against certain guys there, but when you fo- hopefully make your NHL debut and you're in the, in the league, is there a player you're looking forward to lining up against and maybe just competing against in particular? Uh, yeah, obviously there, there's a ton. I've, I've grew up watching a lot of them, even uh, just going to camp, uh, seeing Barkov or Haggy, all the, all those, all those guys, it was, it was a really big eye opener and the, the way they carry themselves every single day. But um, I think a big, a big one is uh, Patrick Kane or Jonathan Taze. I grew up liking the, the Blackhawks. So uh, yeah, those guys would be a real, <laughs> it'd be pretty cool to line up against those guys. But yeah, I think those two for sure. Just to sort of like piggyback off of that. Do you kind of have like a, a picture in your mind of what it might be like to face off against your brother? Maybe like say next NHL exhibition season, if you guys can get into a game against each other, yeah, I think that would be cool. Um, I haven't, I haven't been on the ice against my brother before, so it'd be it'd definitely be something new. And uh, I don't know, maybe maybe I'd go after him a little bit. 
<laughs> I mean, you have to, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, again, sort of similar kind of question. Is there a player in the NHL that you kind of look at and say, you know, that's the way that, that I need to play to be successful. That's the kind of guy that I want to try to model my game after. Yeah, I think, I think there's two. Uh, Anthony Sorelli is a big one for me. Uh, just the way he he's trusted in any position his coach puts him in. I know I've, I've seen him play left wing center. Um, he's really reliable on both sides of the puck. Uh, and then another big one for me is Mason Marchman. Um, kind of similar stories. And he's, uh, he's a bigger guy who, who likes to get gritty and, uh, gets in those dirty areas. So I feel like that's a big part of my game too. And that's something I'm trying to work on is, uh, just getting in those corners and being gritty just like him. So yeah, I think he's a big one for sure. A couple former OHL boys too. You got to keep it in house, right? Yeah, exactly. Now, one of the things I always like doing is kind of get into the personal side of a player. see who you are off the ice a little bit. So is there any music or anything like that that you're listening to right now? I'm a big Zach Bryan guy. Uh, I've just been getting into a couple a couple songs by him. I know the boys play him in the room quite often, so that's a big one on the countryside. And then uh, pretty, I'm a pretty easy guy to, to work with on the music side. I mean, I'm not on the ox in the room, so uh, I kind of just go with the flow. There's a bit of rap, a little bit of uh, EDM in there, and some country, yeah. So, yeah, I think Zach Bryan is one of my favorites right now, though. Who's on the ox then? Is it Del Mastro? Yeah, Del Mastro yeah. and Hardy are both on the ox these days. Yeah, last year I think it was uh, who was it last year? Del, Ma- Del Mastro was last year. A little bit of of Evan Brand, but yeah, this year it's Hardy and Del Mastro. <laughs> right on. All right, when you got some downtime for yourself, is there a mo- movie or uh, a show that you kind of use to kind of veg out and take your mind off the game a little bit? Yeah, big one for me was uh, Prison Break. Uh, I finished it. I've watched it probably three or four times now. It's it's just a good show to go back to. It never gets old, so. That was a big one for me. All right, Kai, we really appreciate you doing this and joining us today on the OHL podcast on the Hockey News. Uh, good luck the rest of the season, and we'll talk to you later. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, that was our interview with Kai. hope you enjoyed talking to him. It was a great time when we got to speak to him a little bit. So let's get into the rest of Prospect Pool. Might as well start with Kai in terms of how his season's going. He's got 10 points in 14 games, 14 penalty minutes. He's a plus eight, so he's doing pretty good on both ends of the ice. He is a, a more of a defensive player. So what's kind of been your take on his game based on what you've seen? I think Kai kind of hit the nail on his head or on the head when we asked him about that, right? Uh, I mentioned in our questions in our interview with Kai that I think the biggest difference for me has been his speed and his quickness. I think he looks a lot quicker. Um, and when he's got that length, it makes him very disruptive, sort of in all three zones. I think there's definitely a, a projection as a strong Defensive forward, he mentioned a guy like Anthony Sorelli uh, as being somebody that he wants to play like. And I think that's definitely a good goal for Kai. I think he's really developed into uh, a strong player off the puck. I think he's developed into a really good boards player, works the cycle really well. I think he's really starting to gain confidence in his shot too. I think that's a major weapon for him as well. Uh, He's got a lot of whip on his release, a really heavy shot. Uh, I'm really interested to see how he performs over the course of the year because I think he's starting to get better and better. Yeah, I look at Kai and I go, man, that's going to be an NHL bottom six guy, a guy that has some energy. Like you said, that speed has really been improved this year. The board play and the forechecking ability is what I've really noticed this year. Is he's With that extra little bit of speed, he's able to get on that defenseman a little bit quicker, disrupt a little bit more, and kind of create those loose puck battles. And when he's able to get to them, he's making good plays with it, whether he's kind of getting to the middle himself or finding somebody up the up the wall or on, on a cycle. So he's been really fun to watch this year. A player, like you said, just – continually developing. I think that's what you, you always look for with guys like Kai. And, and we talked about his brother, Cole Schmidt, Cole Schwint, sorry. And 
it, it's kind of the same style of game in a lot of ways where he's just able to kind of do a little bit here to disrupt play and just create off of that. Yeah, and Cole was sort of a similar late bloomer, right, whose game really only took off at the OHL level when he improved his quickness and his mobility. Um, and then once we saw that happen, you know, he became a really good two-way forward at the OHL level and has now developed into a pretty good NHL prospect. Um, obviously changing hands like we talked about, moving into the Calgary system. But he's somebody I do think is going to have a long NHL career, and I could see Kai sort of following those same footsteps. All right, now let's get to the top-scoring uh, Panthers prospect in the OHL, and that's Sanders Villamanis from the Sarnia Sting. 13 points in 15 games, 8 penalty minutes, and he's a plus 4 as well, 0.87 points per game. What We talked about Sarnia and some of the, the play that we've seen from him this year. What kind of do you think it, it, you've liked from Villamanis' game? I really liked him on the power play, actually. I think he does a really good job working sort of that flank on the outside, has a big shot. Um, shows potential in terms of his cycling ability and working the wall and coming off the wall sort of with some quickness and some pace. I think at even strength, he does well driving the net, um, sort of likes to play with pace, likes to use his size to try to beat defenders one-on-one. -on -one. I think there's still some development to be had in terms of his overall sort of two-way game, his play without the puck. Um, I think his finishing ability in tight too, kind of trying to find his way into that net slot area a little more consistently. Um, but uh, I've been pretty impressed with him in his first OHL season. He was a guy that I really liked as a sort of a mid to late round draft pick last year at the draft. Um, and I was really excited to see him uh, be selected by an OHL team this year at the import draft. And uh, I'm really excited to see him play at some of the international events this year too. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see him in, that, in those international events. I think kind of seeing him against really high end competition at a consistent at a consistent time uh in, in like you said his first season in the ohl it's been a learning experience for him i think at times there have been times where you like you said off the puck there's been some issues i think he's a guy that has some skill and likes to use it at times but then i think to get to that next level he's gonna have to develop those smaller areas of the game is he gonna be able to work off the boards a little bit more consistently win those board battles a little bit more and get to that front of the net you see it in flashes but i don't know if it's there as consistently uh, as we like so far, but at the end of the day, he's got a lot of skill. He's got a lot of uh, pace to his game, and I think that's kind of what you're looking for in his game is developing that consistency at the next at at this point. To, so as he gets to the next level, and he's still a pretty good prospect, I think. Yeah, and I think something worth mentioning too is he's sort of been anchoring that second unit for Sarnia this thus far this season, and I think the big thing that's sort of missing from their lineup is that really good. Uh, play driving center that, that can play with somebody like Vilmanis. And I think that would really help to elevate his game. I think that maybe he's not ready to be the focal point uh, of an offensive line. I think he's better off as a support player. We try to push pace and, and think about, you know, off puck movement a little bit more. Um, I think that's probably something Sarnia will look at over the course of the year. Maybe if they're still in sort of in a position to contend. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see where his season goes. And another player that I've really liked and I, I think is going to be an interesting development path over the next couple of years, Liam Arnsby, th nine goal or nine, nine goals, it'd be nice. Nine points in 14 games, three goals, six assists, 18 penalty minutes. He's a physical player. He's a plus four. What have you liked about his game this year? Well, the same things that I liked about his game last year. Um, and the same things that I liked about his game when he played on that Don Mills Flyers team with you know Shane Wright and Brennan Hoffman. He's a competitive kid, uh, one of the best open ice hitters in the OHL, one of the best defensive forwards in the OHL, strong on face-offs, great penalty killer. 
offensively, there's going to be some limitations. He, he's never going to be a big-time point producer, even at the OHL level. Um, and I do think that his success as an NHL energy player is going to be tied to his ability to continue to improve his foot speed and his quickness. Uh, you know, that's something we mention a lot, but it, it really is. It's the most important thing when it comes to transitioning to the NHL, especially for guys like Arnsby. Um, and I know it's something that he is working on. And I think that there have been some sort of minute improvements, uh, but it's going to have to improve more. Uh, and if it does, I think he's got a chance to be sort of like a Scott Lawton type. Uh, there's another former OHL player who I think sort of relishes in the opportunity to to play sort of a hard two-way game. And uh, that's going to be Arnsby's calling card. Yeah, I think when you mention the physicality, that's the big thing that I've always noticed. He, he works a cycle well. He can eat up time. The offensive generation, like you said, isn't quite there. But he's a guy that I noticed so many times that he's not being hemmed in his own zone because he is good defensively. He understands where to be, when to be, and kind of how to cut off passes. Uses his stick really well. Like you said, he's physical. He's more than willing to take a guy out along the boards or on open ice. So it's not a worry about is he going to get scored on a ton. I think the big worry is even though he's going to generate offensive zone time, is he going to be able to score? And is he going to end up being one of those guys at the NHL level that's able to kind of expand on that? Because there's so many times we see guys in the OHL that do have all these traits that you're like, man, that would make him a good pro. But does it make him a really good AHL or does he end up finding his way into an NHL bottom six, maybe as a third or fourth liner? And that's going to be the big question with him. I think it's going to be, can he increase that quickness a little bit? Can he increase that speed, the mobility overall? And, and can he kind of generate offense off of the zone time that he creates? Because he does generate a ton of zone time, like I mentioned. It's just the production hasn't followed with that. Yeah, and that's a really good point. I think one of the biggest weaknesses in his game at this point is his ability to play with pace offensively, right? Like you said, kind of turning the switch, going from defense to offense, uh, because he does such a good job in his own zone, right? But as the pace sort of increased, as a as a puck carrier, he, he kind of struggles sometimes. And I think that being able to play with the puck and not without it with pace is going to be really integral. And I think that's something that is really, really important in today's NHL, even for your bottom six energy guys. All right, now we get to the true offensive dynamo of the of the of the Panthers uh, prospect pool in the OHL. That's Braden Hesh. Fifteen games played, zero points, but he does got twenty. It does have twenty-seven penalty minutes. He's a plus three, a big physical defenseman. What have you liked about his game so far this year? Well, I mean, I think he's been good this year. I don't think he's been amazing. When when Hesh first came into the league, uh, I was actually really impressed with him. Um, I kind of saw. Maybe a, the potential for him to have a Kevin Ball sort of trajectory. Big guy, some decent movement qualities, really good defensive instincts, good physicality. Um, but the offensive game just kind of has never really come together like it did for Ball. Um, and at this point, you know, is there enough there for him to be an NHL player or even, you know, somebody who's signed by uh, the Florida Panthers? I think that. I think the the road is going to be long and winding for him uh, to have a pro career. I think that he's a really good defensively oriented OHL defender. And I know he's a really good kid who's very involved in the community um, in Kingston. But at the end of the day, I just don't know if the puck skill um, and the decision making with the puck are, are going to be good enough for the next level. What do you think? Yeah, I think 10, 15 years ago, there's there's a role for a player like Hash in the NHL. There's you're not so worried about your bottom bottom pairing guys having the puck skill to be able to move up the move pucks up the ice. You're not worried about 
necessarily that puck mover on the third pairing. You had the guy that was just a big physical presence that would intimidate guys on the back end. You had a guy that didn't necessarily need to have the puck skill to create at all. And, and now with today's NHL, the way the game's gone in the modern day, it, it's so much more puck movement oriented. It's so much more pace and transition oriented. And as, as much as I think Hesh does a good job at the NH, or the OHL level, the NHL path is going to be long for him if he is able to make it there. I could see him being a, a, a solid AHL guy, but I think even at that level, he's going to wind up being a kind of a bottom pair defenseman that at the end of the day still struggles offensively. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing is we, we see it so often now that even, even the guys in whatever junior league, whether it's the OHL, WHL, Q, or even down in the, in the States in the USHL, the guy has to have some offensive game to his to his play as a defenseman because if you're not able to absolutely dominate at this level, it's going to be really hard for you to be holding your head above water even at the next level. So I think it's going to be really interesting to kind of see where his season goes. At the end of the day, though, I do think he's a good piece for Kingston. Like you said, he does a good job back there. He, he plays his role really well, and he's able to kind of do some things at the OHL level that at the end of the day, like we said, he's probably not going to be able to do at the NHL level. Is there is there a future for him in the NHL? I don't know, but for that, for now, he's going to do a solid job in the in the O. Yeah, I agree. Um, like you said, uh, if you do not have at least sort of average puck skill, or maybe just slightly below average, you're going to have a hard time exiting your own zone. Um, you're going to have a hard time trying to keep pucks in the offensive zone. Um, you're going to have a hard time making skill plays in the neutral zone. Like it, it just becomes sort of an uphill battle um, and you're kind of scrambling around. You're putting too much pressure on your defensive partner. And those are the guys who tend not to make it to that next level. Right. Yeah. That's the entire Florida Pro- Panthers prospect pool in the OHL. So let's move on to some players that have yet to be drafted yet. And they won't be for a couple of years. The U 17 world hockey challenge. Uh, we're going to get into a little bit more in terms of the stats. Michael Mies is putting up a good uh, tournament. Henry Muse from the Ottawa 67s is having a good tournament as well. But I, I figured at least this to this week, because we'll have Carol Stram on next week to talk about the, the tournament overall and the OHLers that stood out to her being in the tournament. But I figured this week we talk about what do you think about Hockey Canada's approach in the splitting up into three teams? We have Hockey Canada red, black, and, and white. And it's a really interesting um, process because USA sends one team, every other team, every other country, Finland, Sweden, send one team. Canada sends three. It, it, what's your opinion on that? And how do you think maybe that could change or what, what you would do about it? Well, if you recall, right, it used to be more provincially, regionally uh, done, right? When they sent teams to this tournament and then they went to this sort of let's mix and match them into three teams, try to develop some chemistry you know, when, when Hockey Canada made that decision to do that, and I think they probably still stand by this decision, I don't think the intent was ever to, hey, let's win the U-17s. And I know that sounds kind of crazy. Uh, you know, it's, it's a big tournament. It's a big scouting event. Uh, the best players in the world at a lot of countries. I mean, Russia obviously isn't there this year, but is normally there when the political climate allows them to be. I don't think that they really care about their standing. I think they want to be competitive, but the main point is let's try to develop some chemistry between players. Let's try to get as many players into Hockey Canada's program under the umbrella as we can, um, sort of get them into situations where they're familiar with the program. Um, And 
hockey player development is so unpredictable, right? Especially at this age, even from the, you know, the U17 to the U18 to the U19 sort of steps, right? It's, it's non-linear. Every player is different. So I think the more players you can get an eye on, you kind of get an understanding of their progression over those few years before they're going to get to that U20 level and push for that world junior appearance. Right. Um, and I think that's sort of where they're at with it. I've seen a lot of debate on Twitter because Canada's losing like badly to the U S who are <laughs> an amazing team. And Cole Iserman is just kind of dominating the tournament. Um, but I don't think you really, I don't, you, can't, you just can't really get too angry at the way that they've done this if you're looking at the grand scheme of things. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, if you want to win this tournament, throw it all in one team. Put the best players on the ice every day that you put out a Team Canada jersey. You, you want the best players on the ice if you want to win the tournament. In, in the way Canada's looked at this, like you said, it's a developmental tournament. It's where they can get a bunch of guys into the Team Canada system and, and, and try to get them going, try to develop chemistry, like you said. Um, you, you mentioned how they used to do it regionally before. And, and one of the thoughts I had was possibly going back to that a little bit. Just go a Team OHL, Team WHL, and Team QMJHL and see what that would do maybe. Uh, that's one way to look at it. Mixing and matching guys like they've done the last few tournaments has been really fun to watch. You see guys like Berkeley Catton playing on, on teams that with guys that he'd never played with before or he'd never played with uh, at the Team Canada level in, in their league. So it, it's fun to see. Um, it's definitely not uh, conducive to winning, which is always a, a little bit stressful for, for uh, fans. Um the one thing I'll say is it doesn't make it necessarily a tournament that's going to draw anybody to it because it's team Canada is not going to do well. Usually it's not going to get some, something streamed. You're not going to get some big fan base watching it for the most part. You mostly get guys like you and I who are scouting it, looking at the guys, how they're doing against the best competition against their age group and, and kind of seeing it that way. If they were to ever try to get this thing to be something like the, the world juniors or even the world under 18s, yeah, you probably want to throw everyone into a tournament or into one roster and, and do the best you can. But at the end of the day, I, I like the fact that they do it in a developmental way. They do it in terms of getting as many kids into the system, going as they can, and, and seeing who's got what. Like, now that you're on the big stage, you're with teammates that you're not necessarily comfortable with. Who's going to stand out? And I think that's um, something that's been really interesting with, with the, the three-team candidate entries this year. Yeah, like you said, it just allows them to have more notes on more players, right? And, you know, when the guy that goes to the U-17s isn't producing much in the OHL or Dub or the Q for whatever reason, uh, but has a really strong U-17, um, then goes back, kind of struggles again, but takes that huge step forward in a U-18 year or U-19 year, right? Hockey Canada's got notes on them thinking, okay, this was just a player who, you know, he's overwhelmed currently playing against older players, but they're skilled, they're they're talented, and eventually they will break out, right? And we, we kind of see that a lot. Um, and I think that's sort of why this approach is taken. I mean, like you said, it's sort of interesting to look at going back to the regional approach where you, you do Ontario, uh, WHL, the, and sort of like Maritimes, Q. But I guess the question is, are you developing the kind of chemistry that you want, right? Um, because these are guys that are playing with each other all the way up, right? They're very familiar with each other already. The Ontario guys, the West guys, maybe a little bit less 
Um, but the Ontario guys certainly are very familiar with each other. Um, and I just think that there are some really strong positives to take away from the way that they've done it. Uh, when you look at how Hockey Canada is even taking some full lines that kind of existed at that U17 tournament and then taking them to the U18s or them playing together again in the U20s. Um, and I think that's sort of the end goal. Yeah, like you said, it's a developmental tournament at the end of the day, and I think that's the way Hockey Canada is looking at it. The U.S. has the U17, U18, NTDP, NTDP program, and that's the way they kind of do things. They put the best guys on one team. They play together for two years and go from there. This is a way of Canada getting a bunch of guys together and playing across the country so that, like you said, when they throw them at the U18s, when they throw them at the U20 level, they've at least played with one of their line mates at some point probably. They've at least kind of been with a defensive par partner or been on at least on the same team and they know what they're doing. Because I think that's been a problem with, with Canada's uh, international play at the junior level lately is that, especially going up against a team like the United States or even Sweden, Finland, who are playing in all these five-nation tournaments, they're constantly playing together uh, throughout the season. The, the Canadian kids don't necessarily get that. So getting one extra appearance like this at the U-17s, even though it is kind of an earlier stage than, than say, the U-18s or, or under-20 tournaments, it, it's, a, it's a little bit of an advantage in terms of gaining chemistry. Does it always work out? No, it, nothing ever always works out. But it's Canada's way of kind of getting guys together and getting the, the chemistry built early on. So it, hopefully it does pay off later on down the line. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I agree 100%. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Hockey News on the O. You can follow me on Twitter, the Tony Ferrar. You can follow Brock at Brock Otten, and be sure to follow the Hockey News for everything on the OHL, WHL, QMJHL, USHL, and all the other leagues across the world, including the NHL. Uh, without further ado, I'm Tony Ferrar. That's Brock Otten, and we'll see you next week. Take care.